0: We're going to continue in our On Purpose series. I hope God has been speaking to you about uh, your purpose and how on purpose you have been created. Hopefully you've been wrestling through some of these ideas of uh, what it means that you were created on purpose and for a purpose. So far we've discussed stewarding our time and our talents well. No matter how well you steward your time, you can't get more of it. And that's kind of a, a truth. We all have the same amount of time. We're all given the exact same amount of that resource. Uh, and if you steward it really, really well, it might feel like you have more time. You might get more out of the time you have by wasting less of it and using more of it on purpose. But you can't get more of it no matter how well you steward it. Talents, we've talked about. The Scripture indicates you will be trusted with more if you are faithful with what you have. So that's a resource that, yeah, technically I, I, you know, you can say you would get more of it if you steward it well, but there's really no measurable metric uh, that we can go by for that. But today I want to talk about a resource which if you steward it well, you can actually get more of it. You definitely will get more of it. Net that resource is energy. Uh, energy is one of the few resources that if we steward it well, we'll actually get more of it. If we care For our bodies, in a God-honoring way, paying attention to what we put into it and how often we exercise and take care of it and maintain it, we will increase the energy that we have. It's one of those resources that's great like that. Um, If you steward it well, you'll get more of it. Those of us that have ever gone on a weight loss journey, what is one of the immediate side effects of losing weight, eating healthy, and exercise? increased energy. It's one of the great parts about getting in shape. It's one of those great motivators is you start you as soon as you get into it, you get that initial burst of extra energy and extra uh you feel really good because now you're eating better and you start everything starts feeling better. When we steward our bodies well, we get immediate and long-lasting benefits. So why are we talking about this in church? Why are we talking about hey, if you eat well and exercise, you'll get more energy? Well, our bodies are referred to as temples in 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, so if you want to follow along on your own copy of God's Word, um, then that's the translation you'll want to use, if you're, especially if you're doing it digitally. Uh, if not, you can just follow on the screen. 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. I don't think there's a place that spells this out any better than this. It's pretty clear. Uh, our bodies belong to Him, and we're told to steward it well. Um, we're told to steward our temples well. Uh, that's a part of what something that God has given you. Uh, and everything we have belongs to God. We've talked about. We are only His stewards. Uh, and that in inside of that, everything that we have belongs to God is our physical bodies. This passage is what we'll be talking about today. It's really the entirety of what we'll be talking about today is living on purpose. With our temples if we believe that we were created on purpose if we believe that everything even about our physical bodies was created on purpose the way we look the way our bodies work and function or for some of us maybe don't function quite as well as we wish they would uh we were created on purpose the problem for some of us is we've not stewarded it well and um here's one of you know I always, I feel like every sermon I give you at least one of my pet peeves because I only have a couple hundred. Uh, But one of my pet peeves is when someone is complaining that God isn't healing them and what they want healed from is their bad decisions regarding their physical body. And it's like, well, okay, you know, God does make up for our mistakes sometimes and He does intervene even though we, you know, mess up and we do these terrible things. But Uh, I think God wants you to work on the the source of that problem because if he heals this in another month, it's just going to be back because you're not taking care. You're not stewarding your temple well. And we focus on, man, when we talk about finances, oh, that's easy. You know, we all expect that conversation. We all know we're supposed to steward our money well. Uh, We've talked about our time. I think most of us know Uh, When we have a sermon about that, it's pretty easy to say, yeah, you know what, I've wasted some time. I'm not using my time as as wisely as I should. Um, Talents, you know, we're like, okay, yeah, I know I have some skills and abilities I haven't used. But not many people want to talk about this one. This is kind of the area of stewardship we don't want to talk about. We don't want to enter into because immediately someone's going to get offended and someone's going to get upset because you said this about our bodies. Or uh, it, This is not a body-shaming sermon. Um, this has nothing to do with, you know. well, you should be ashamed of the way you look. That's not at all what this sermon is about. It's about taking a resource that we have and stewarding it in a way that brings glory to Christ. Everything we have belongs to Him. So what we do with everything we have should honor and glorify God. We can sometimes take for granted this truth that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. I mean, do you realize that? Do you realize that you are the dwelling place of God? The Holy Spirit is God just as much as Jesus and the Father is. He's not like God watered down. He is God. And so you have God dwelling inside of you. You are literally the temple of the holy spirit i don't i don't know uh what kind of containers you have at home i i I would bet there's there's something in your house that holds extremely precious and valuable things something maybe it's a jewelry box for us we have like a fireproof safe that we try to keep like important things in right now it's empty because we're not using it wisely we need to steward that better uh it was a great idea when we bought it i just you gotta put the stuff in it for it to work but uh we all probably have something that holds something, things of extraordinary value. And what do we do with that thing that holds the things of extraordinary value? We take care of it. We honor it. We put it somewhere safe. We keep it from harm. We take care of it. Because why? Because it holds something valuable. And I believe at times, very often, as far as when I look around and I see how we Christians live our lives at times, it says, I don't know that we value or really understand, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So the words that we speak, the things that we watch, every activity we engage in, we take the Holy Spirit with us. He dwells in us, and we take that temple everywhere we go. So we might not think it was a big deal, but it was a huge, huge deal for the initial audience of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. You have to understand, if, if you were somebody that was familiar or in Jewish culture, You grew up with the temple. You grew up with this structure of how you approached the presence of God. Any of you you ever been to Israel? No? We're going to have to do a trip sometime. We're definitely going to have to do a trip to Israel. I'm not even joking about that. We're definitely going to do a trip to Israel because it was life-changing. One of the things that really struck me was, if you've never seen uh, any video or anything of of the Wailing Wall, or the Western Wall, they call it, And the Jewish people will go there every day. It is packed all through the day. And they stand there and they're making their motions and they're praying and they're putting little pieces of paper in the wall because it's the closest they can get to where the temple was, the original temple. And that's the thing, it's the proximity. For them, still to this day, their idea is their proximity to the Holy of Holies that ho- most holy place in the temple m- makes them think that God hears them better because it was a proximity idea. Uh, and this was set up because of the way that the temple was set up. It was, it was set up in a very purposeful manner. And so I want you to, to use your mind's eye a little bit. I have an image, but I also want you to kind of use your uh, imagination as we talk about this. But I just want to explain to you just a l- very small portion of how the temple was set up. The temple itself, was 90 feet long. So most of what you see in this image is the temple. Um, you see the word porch there. Uh, it was the, uh, the temple was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, 45 feet high. And you see there, there's a porch. It's a, and that porch is 15 feet deep, stretching across the width. So that's where entering the temple. The larger part of the main sanctuary next to the porch formed the holy place, which was 60 feet long. Beyond this was the innermost sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, which was a perfect cube of 30 feet. All the interior walls were paneled with cedar, decorated with flower patterns, cherubim, and palm trees so that no masonry was visible. The walls of both the inner court and outer sanctuaries were overlaid with pure gold. In the Holy of Holies, there were two cherubim, each 15 feet high, "...and made of olive wood covered with gold. Each wing of those two cherubim measured seven and a half feet. The wing of each touched the side walls. The other wings met at the center of the room. The impression of a divine throne was considerably less in the tabernacle, where a wing of each cherubim fused on into the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant." In Solomon's temple, the Ark of the Covenant was placed below the forward-facing cherubim, the symbolic protectors, very similar to the Garden of Eden. You understand how much, like, can you just picture yourself stepping into this temple? Everything's overlaid with gold. There's so much beautiful masonry and everything around, uh, all the uh, artistic detail to everything. Everything. As you step in and, and the reverence, the, the feeling of, you know, being able to enter the temple, yeah, being able to enter first the outer courts and then the inner courts and then the temple itself, the holy place, and then the most holy place. This was not something that just anybody did. Your heritage determined how close you could get to the presence of God. If you don't know this, just a brief understanding of the Jewish traditions If you weren't an Israelite, you could only go as far as the outer court. Now, I don't even have the outer court pictured here because this is just the temple, which is inside the larger structure of the temple grounds. The outer court is, as you can probably guess, on the outermost part of that ground. If you weren't a native-born Israelite, you were never allowed past that. That's the farthest you would ever get or the closest you would ever get to the Holy of Holies. If you were Jewish and you were ceremonially clean, you could enter the inner court. Now, if you've never read through, we, we, uh, those of us that are reading through the Bible on, on the plan that we're all on, uh, we just read through a lot and a lot of laws and all the different ways that you can be unclean. And so even if you were Jewish, you couldn't get past the outer court if you were considered unclean. So if you were clean, though, you could get into the inner court. To go beyond that, you needed to be a Levite. Now that, now we've narrowed it down from all the people in the world down to just the Israelites. Now it's just one tribe. Just one tribe is allowed past that. The Levites were the tribe of people who were responsible over aspects of the tabernacle and temple worship. So they had to enter certain places to take care of things and uh, to manage temple worship. The next level up were the priests. While only the Levites could be priests, not all Levites were priests. So, Just because you were a Levite didn't mean that you were allowed in the the holy place. Only priests were allowed into the holy place. And so only special Levites were allowed uh, to become priests. The next level up was a single position called the high priest. Only the high priest was allowed, was permitted to enter the most holy place or the holy of holies in the tabernacle and temple. they were only allowed to do that one time a year. And that was the Day of Atonement. That was the only time a human being was ever allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. So imagine growing up in this uh, culture. I don't know if any of you, like when I grew up, my parents' room was like the Holy of Holies. It was like the forbidden place. Nobody was allowed to go. We never stepped foot in our parents' room. Like we were just banned from it. And so there was always this, like, I wonder what's in the room. And then you grow up to find out, like, it's just the bedroom. Like, there's nothing there. It's, there's nothing special. I always thought that, like, everything was overlaid with gold and, like, that there was, you know, all the, like, all the chocolates that we never got or candy and stuff, like, everywhere, and found out there's literally nothing special about it. We just, they just didn't want us in there because that, that was their sanctuary from five crazy boys, uh, But there was this like pomp and circumstance to it. I don't know if you ever had any of those rooms in your house or those places you were never allowed to go. It made you want to go there because you wanted to see what was going on there. And so you can imagine as an Israelite growing up, and you can get only so far. You can only get so close. And I can imagine, just imagine being a priest, and you're allowed to see the curtain of the Holy of Holies, but you knew you were never allowed on the other side of that nobody other than the high priest ever saw what was inside that curtain. And then he was only there once a year. And man, I, I can't imagine. I, I, if you read uh, and you understand history of, of the temple, even the high priest, they would tie a rope to him and they would tie bells to his, uh, his robe because they thought if he angers God, God will strike him dead and we can't even go in there to get him. We just pull him out. That's how much reverence there was to the presence of God. And now, the presence of God dwells inside of us. It's incredible. We cannot wrap our minds around this. Are you getting a sense of of how much detail and precision was put into protecting and approaching the presence of God? It was a special thing to enter the temple grounds to enter, even to get remotely close to the presence of God was a huge deal. What if we viewed our bodies with the same care and attention that went into the temple? I mean, if you were one of those, if you, if you got elevated, you were a Levite, and you got elevated to priest and it was your job to make sure that things were done well and things, that were, uh, and things were clean, you can guarantee you took your job Seriously. Because the entire nation of Israel was expecting you to do your absolute best job because they valued so much when they came to the temple. They expected things to, to be nice and to look like they should. I think we can make a very easy translation from the physical temple. There's a reason Jesus refers to our bodies as a temple. That what we put into our bodies and temples matters. Not just anybody could enter the temple. Well, not just anything should be able to enter our temple, whether it's through our eyes, through our ears, through our mouths. We should be very sensitive and aware of what's entering our bodies, how we treat our bodies and our, or our temples. It matters to God. We don't just get to live however we want and think, oh, God's not concerned with that. God's not concerned with the food that I eat. God's not concerned with the TV programs that I watch. He's not concerned with the things that I listen to, all the things that enter my temple. He doesn't really care about that. We are now the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies, this, this special place that was only entered on the Day of Atonement by one person. It was traditionally understood by the Jewish cultures and any other cultures that uh, interacted with them, they understood it was where heaven and earth came together. It was the one place on earth where heaven and earth came together. We are now where heaven and earth come together. Everywhere you go, heaven meets earth. That's why the scriptures are so clear with how we live and how we act and how we interact and, and how why it's such a mistake when churches just think, well, we just need to band together, we just need to sit in this building, and that's the whole culmination of the of the Christian life. It's why we're called to go. Go and make disciples. Go be in the community. Go be amongst the people. Because if we don't, heaven can't meet earth there. But when we go, heaven meets earth. And they get to experience just a little bit of what heaven is like. Because of our Presence there because of Christ in you, just as the temple was a masterpiece of craftsmanship and care. And if you read through, um, who, how many of you know the first person ever filled with the Spirit of God? Jackie's got it. She's got some of the, the uh, some of the sounds. Bezalel. It's the first person in the Scriptures you'll ever find filled with the Spirit of God. And what was his job? He was the craftsman in charge of the tabernacle. It's pretty cool. He was an artist. So, you know, power to all the artists out there. I'm not one of them. Uh, first person ever filled with the Spirit of God was literally somebody who was really good at carpentry. And he made stuff with his hands. And, you know, not wasn't a prophet, wasn't all these other things we might think of. Wasn't a pastor. Wasn't a priest. It was a craftsman. And God filled him with the Spirit of God. Why? So that when the tabernacle was crafted and created, it was flawless. It was beautiful. It, it represented who God was. Does the way that we treat our bodies represent the holiness of the God we contain? Of the God who walks with us and is in us. Does that reflect clearly the God we serve? Our temples are masterpieces, beautifully and wonderfully made, the scriptures tell us. In Psalm 139, 13, and 14, it says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well. I know it. Our physical bodies represent the tabernacle because just as much care as went in the tabernacle, man, our bodies are way more advanced than that and way more complex. Get into a conversation with somebody in the medical field sometime about just how complex our bodies are. They can't stop talking about it. It's amazing how complex our bodies are. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. If you were here a few weeks ago, I challenged you to start looking, in your, looking at yourself in the mirror and telling yourself that you are God's masterpiece. How's that going for you? I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I'd love to know how many of you even tried that? How many of you? I, I said I don't want to raise your hands. Man, I ask you to raise your hands and none, you all just sit there and stare at me. And I tell you, don't raise your hands, y'all start raising your hands. I'm I'm picking up on what I need to do in the future. Did you even try it? Did you even dare to look yourself in the eyes and say, you are God's masterpiece? I I know I talked to at least one of you who said, I'm starting to believe it more. The more I say it, the more I'm believing it. There's so much power in spoken word. And there is so much so many reasons why we don't steward our temple well and i believe one of the main ones is we don't look at it as a masterpiece we don't look at this physical body that god has given us as a masterpiece instead we we look at all the flaws we don't believe it the reason that some of you haven't looked yourself in the in the eyes in the mirror and said that is because you don't believe it and you know it but do this do it anyhow Start speaking it over yourself. Even if you don't believe it, just start speaking it over yourself and see what God will do with that as you just do that every single day that maybe you do start to believe it. Maybe those words that are God's words start to sink into your head and you actually begin to believe that you are a masterpiece of God. It's going to be really, really hard to steward your temple well When every time you look at yourself in the mirror, all you see are your past mistakes. It's going to make it really hard. Or maybe what you see is that extra weight that you don't want. Or maybe those gray hairs that you wish you didn't have. Some of you are just past that. That train has left the station. But maybe you still look and you say, ah, I hate these grays. Ah, I'm almost all gray now. Maybe, maybe if that's not the first thing we saw when we looked in the mirror. Maybe if the, if the first thing we saw, and not in a vain or conceited way, but we, we're just in awe of how awesome God is because we begin to understand just what it means to be a masterpiece of God. doesn't mean that we're the prettiest person by some objective standard. It means that God put, the God who created the earth, He created the heavens, He created everything that we know, He put care and attention into making you, into creating you. He gave you a specific personality. He gave you specific desires and passions. He created all this because he knew how all the pieces would fit together and he knew the experiences you'd have. And so he gave you these personalities and he gave you these desires and passions and interests and that would match up perfectly with your story. How well have we stewarded that? When we look in the mirror, do we see that? We should stop calling bad what God has called good. He looked at you when you were born and he said, that's my creation and it is good. Just the same as he did with the heavens and the earth and the animals and the stars and the sun and the moon. He said, it is good. Have any of you ever looked at your kids? No, seriously, don't raise your hands. Have any of you ever looked at your kids and thought, man, I don't know what happened to that one, but that one's ugly as sin. Have you ever heard the term a face only a mother could love? I know I've heard that term, and I've been the point of that term. Uh, Why? Why is that not true for any of us as parents? Because we see the beauty and the magnificence in our children. They might not be objectively beautiful or good-looking. That doesn't matter to parents. They still see the beauty there. Why? Because there's a love. That love transcends all that other stuff. And we look at them and we see what they can be. We see the beauty in that. We see them from the, when they were an infant up to where they are now, wherever they are. And we see the beauty in that. And I know if any parent could, they could, if they could, they would force their kids to be able to see their kids the way they see them. Man, what that would change in our kids if they could see themselves the way we see them. That changed their whole world. Now imagine, just for a second, if you could learn to see yourself the way that your Heavenly Father sees you, through His eyes. It would change your whole world. It would change everything that you do. If you were able to see yourself the way He sees you. We are made in His image, after all. What's one of the things that uh, amazes parents? I know Jackie and I, as we were raising Killian and Kiara it's like every now and then they get that look or they have that, you know, just that way that picture is taken. It's like, man, that looks just like me. Or, that looks just like you. Because why? They're, they're, they're made in our image. They, they have both of our, uh, a mix of our looks to them. And at times I see me and at times I see Jackie and at times I see the unique person they are, separate from us as well. But we're made in God's image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. You are a magnificent work of God. The more you believe that, the better steward of your temple you'll be. What's one of the basic truths of keeping something clean? The cleaner it is, the more people will respect that, and they'll try to keep it clean as well. The dirtier something is, the less people are going to care about it, the less that people are going to put effort into keeping it clean. If you walk into a house and it is spotless, you're probably going to kind of walk a little bit on eggshells because you don't want to leave like a, a, a water ring on the table since there's, you know, everything is perfect. But if the house is just trashed, you're not going to think twice about putting your feet up on the coffee table and just kind of kicking back. And, and why? Because it's not clean to begin with. And some of us, that's kind of how our temples have been treated. We haven't taken very good care of it, so we're like, ah, who cares what happens to it? It's falling apart anyhow. And so we just don't put any care and effort into it. Instead of saying, you know what? doesn't matter how bad a shape this thing is. I'm going to treat it like, you know, some people treat an old classic car. And just because it's old doesn't mean it doesn't have value. And I'm going to treat it with the utmost care. And and I'm going to do what I can because it's a magnificent work of God. How many of you, now you can actually raise your hands for this one, all right? So how many of you can have passengers in your car right now without being embarrassed? Yeah, you keep your cars pretty clean, okay? uh How many of you? Probably you'd need a couple seconds before they got in the car. Yeah? Okay? Depends which car we're talking about, all right, in our house. There's one car that you can jump right in and you're good. There's another car I might ask you to wait for a few seconds while I uh, rearrange some things. But I'd be willing to bet that there isn't a 2022 Lamborghini out there that looks like the inside of our Jeep. Uh, Our Jeep is our other car that pretty much only I drive. And I rarely drive anybody else in it. Even if you went with the cheap Huracan model of Lamborghini, which only costs $327,000, instead of an expensive one like the Countach, which starts at $2.5 million. I know some of you probably drive those around. You know, that's, your, that's your errand car. But I'm going to go ahead and bet, I'm going to doubt that they'll have six-year-old dirt on their dashboard like my Jeep does. Why? Why is that true? Those of you that take care of your cars who said, yeah, absolutely, someone could jump right in my car and no worries at all. My guess is that's probably true, not just of the interior of your car, but probably the entirety of your car. You make sure the oil's changed on time, you take care of everything. Why? Because you value it. How many of you would have wrapped up McDonald's wrappers laying on the side of your car if you paid $327,000 for it? That's the cheap model probably not. You'd probably be like that guy that's out there with a rag, like wiping his engine down and making sure there's no dust on anything. Because why? It's a $327,000 car. They receive great care because their owners acknowledge the value and the craftsmanship behind it. That's why we would treat that car differently than we would treat a Jeep. Or just our regular old beater car. Why? We don't value that car. We don't see the the value there, uh, the craftsmanship that goes into it. We don't value that nearly as much. Because why? We didn't pay as much for it. What's the price that has been paid for us? Christ died on the cross. He gave his only son. That's the price. We have been bought with a price, the scriptures tell us. We read that verse at the beginning. You were bought with a price. So you don't belong to yourself. The value you've been given, we actually just had this conversation at a guy's night the other night uh, about art and how it's so subjective. And if if I say it's worth two and a half million dollars and someone's willing to pay for it, then that's what its value is. It's two and a half million dollars worth of garbage. I don't know, whatever the piece of art, if I made it, it would be. but if someone's willing to pay two and a half million dollars for it, then it has value. doesn't matter how bad it looks. doesn't matter if you think it, it's valuable. It has value because someone's willing to pay for it. Jesus was willing to pay for you. And so that value you have, it doesn't matter how much you kick it. It doesn't matter how much you mess it up. doesn't matter how many Big Macs you slam down it. It still has value because Jesus paid for it. He determined your value the moment he paid for you on the cross, and nothing can change that. Which brings me to my last point. Considering all that we've talked about this morning, there is a sin which flies in the face of all of these facts. It's the sin of vegetarianism. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Some of you were really into that. Okay, being a vegetarian is not a sin, okay? It's just not a choice I would ever make. The sin I'm talking about is the sin of gluttony. I can almost... You're not going to find it. You can Google it, but you're not going to find a whole lot of sermons on gluttony. Certainly not in America. Though 1 John 2, 15 to 17 says, "...do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father." but are from this world, and this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. This craving for physical pleasure is what creates gluttony, this desire for the immediate gratification from food, and so we desire this immediate thing. Um, you know, I was again just talking to my brother, and uh, you know, I don't know if you're this way, but when I when I'm stressed, I stress eat. Yeah, you have any? You have your go-to meals that like this makes me feel better, even though it's absolute garbage uh, sometimes, or whatever that food is that you like to eat. Uh, some of you probably ice cream. Uh, I know for me, it's like Chinese food. It's like that's, that's I just want to eat that because I don't know why, but. When I get like, anxious or stressed, so this week my brother and I, we, ate, we had Chinese food. Um, but it's that immediate gratification that if we live that way every day off of this immediate gratification from food, uh, then we value it. We begin to value immediate gratification over future foresight and to say, if this is what I want, then I can't have this today. But we value, we begin to, we value immediate gratification from food more than we honor the masterpiece that God created. We begin to say, well, this want, this desire, this feeling I have is more important than my, the masterpiece that God has made. Proverbs twenty-three twenty says, do not carouse with drunkards or feast with gluttons. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. If we honestly followed this scripture, how much would our social social circle shrink? If we decided, you know what? I'm not going to carouse with drunkards or with gluttons. Because honestly, it's really the same thing. It's somebody who doesn't have self-control. Self-control with alcohol or self-control with food. This is a self-control problem. You won't hear many sermons on this because, in my opinion, so many pastors out there, are guilty of this sin on a daily basis. They'd rather preach on the easy ones for them, the ones that they don't personally struggle with. They'll preach all day on other lifestyle sins, just not this one. They lack self-control, and so they refuse to talk about this pervasive sin in our world, in our culture, certainly in Christian culture. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. We are to maintain self-control in every area of our lives. I'm not just talking about food. I'm talking about the shows you watch, the movies you see, the, the, whatever it is you listen to, whether it be music or podcasts or, or conversations at work, whatever you're uh, allowing to enter your, your mind, your body, your temple, self-control is needed. Unrestrained self-indulgence in any area of life leads to sin. There is nothing in this world that we can say, oh, you can just have as much of that as you want and you're just good to go. Just just let yourself worship that thing. It's not God, it's idolatry. There's nothing that we can just allow self-control to go by the wayside for because it represents a rejection of godly self-control and disobedience to the will of God. When we're willing to just let go and just do whatever we want, It's saying that self-control is not important. Notice what Paul says to the Romans in in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 to 13. It says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. That includes your stomach. That includes every part of your body. I honestly, I struggle to see how anyone can claim that they're using their whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God while they're overweight and not practicing self-control in what they consume. That's one of my personal struggles. I know I was a personal trainer for years. I had been... Pretty, pretty overweight. I started getting in shape and, and so this stuff started to matter to me as I started to see spiritual significance to what God was teaching me in that season. And yes, I do believe that it is a sin to be significantly overweight. Now it depends what metric you use to judge that by. Certainly not those height weight charts because those are useless. Based on your height and your weight, I'm, I think I'm still considered like drastically obese. So, um, Certainly not by those standards because they're useless because they take into consideration nothing important. But I think you know. It's one of those things you know if you're where you should be. It's more of a stewardship thing. If you're beyond where you know is proper stewardship, then you're not where you need to be. And again, this isn't a body-shaming type sermon. This isn't saying, well, you shouldn't be happy with the way you look. You should be a good steward. You should not let any part of your body... Determine what you do. You should honor God with every part of it. And if that means that you can't have certain things, then that's called self control. That's called discipline to say, I can't do that. Now, I know some people have had this conversation before, will try to argue with their condition or their special circumstances. Well, I get a pass because of these, I have this condition or I have this special circumstance. But if we were to have a condition or a special circumstance that made it more difficult to honor God in any other area of our life, would any excuse suffice? I've actually had these conversations, I had a conversation with a guy once. Well, my testosterone level is higher, so I should be allowed to look at pornography. I'm sorry, no, that doesn't work that way. Uh, First off, you've never had your testosterone checked, you're just making that up. But second, even if it was, that doesn't give you the right to sin. Just because you're predisposed to a sin doesn't make it okay. And this works with our bodies. Just because I graduated high school and was no longer playing like 15 sports and my metabolism slowed down doesn't mean that I just get to be like, oh well, I'm fat. I'm just going to live that way for the rest of my life. Yeah, KFC. Man, KFC. Need to burn them down, man. That was a rough season. An eight-piece is not a personal meal, just in case any of you are wondering. That was sin in my life. I just was like, oh, well, my my, my metabolism slowed down, so this is just who I am. Instead of saying, hey, my metabolism slowed down, I have to be more disciplined now. I have to be more careful. I have to put more effort in. I have to start going to the gym. I have to start working out. I have to be very intentional with everything that goes into my body now because now I can't just eat whatever I want. We probably all have that friend, right? who can just eat whatever they want, and they stay thin as a rail. So hear this. If you're that person, it matters what you put into your body. Just because you don't experience the consequences of it doesn't still make it okay. We should still be intentional, whether we gain weight or not. It's not a weight thing. It's a stewardship thing. Those of you who have gone back and forth know uh, w- with your diet, when you're eating really well, you feel great. You feel good. You, you have a different confidence to you. You have the energy necessary to do the things God's called you to do. It's one of the things that bothers me with, uh, now I personally, I, I struggle with pastors that deal with this, but struggling, that they don't have the energy to do you know, half of these things. They can't make it to half of the things they want to do. They can't juggle work and family because they just don't have the energy. It's like, yeah, because you're like 200 pounds overweight. Start paying attention to your body. Start stewarding your temple well and watch your energy increase. And now you have the energy to interact with your grandchildren, with your children, and do your job well and still have energy for your family and other hobbies and things that you want to do and and evangelism and and interacting with our community and doing things and serving people. Many times we don't have the energy, the capacity, because we're not stewarding what we have well. Do you have a condition or something like that? that predisposes you to gaining weight, what that means is that God is calling you to a higher level of discipline than most people, not letting you off the hook to allow your stomach to become an instrument of evil to serve sinful desires. For any condition out there, I promise you I can find a person who just deployed discipline and decided that they were going to be in shape and they were going to steward their body well and they they don't suffer from that because they decided instead of saying I'm predisposed so I can't help it they said I'm predisposed so my discipline has to be at at 10 times the normal person's discipline because they have to pay it so close attention I know some of you have allergies to foods and you have to be so disciplined when you enter a restaurant you ask them what was it cooked with what pan did you cook with it what other things do you cook in that pan do you have separate utensils for these things why because you're predisposed to something, and so your discipline is heightened. What if we took that into every area of our life? What area are you predisposed to? Increase your discipline, not your excuses. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't a good idea. It's an imperative given from God. We must steward our body well. And hear me again. I don't, I'm going to say this a bunch of times during the sermon. This isn't about shame. This isn't to say, well, shame on you. You should feel shame walking out of the building. If anything, you should feel a heightened desire for discipline. That's what I want you to walk away from this with, is to say, you know what? Done are the days where I let my stomach control what's going to go into my body. Done are the days that I'm going to let the desire for entertainment decide what goes through my eyes and through my ears. I'm going to deploy discipline in my life so that everything that enters the temple of the Holy Spirit will be what should enter, what is honoring and worthy of entering the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm going to choose to do. The way God created us, the price He paid for us, they all indicate the value that God has for us. We're far more intricately and carefully made than any Lamborghini. I promise you that. Do just a little research on how intricate the human body is and there's not a car on the face of this planet. There's not a space shuttle on the face of this planet that comes close to the complexity of the human body. You are a magnificent work of God. You are a masterpiece of the master creator. He determined your value when he purchased you on the cross and said they are worth it. My love for them makes them worth it. We should treat our temples as the masterpieces they are and we should live on purpose with our temples. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have created us with so much complexity, with so much care, with so much precision. Each and every person in this room is created so uniquely with personalities and preferences and desires and all these things that make up who we are. And you determined them all before the first breath we ever took. Your word says that you you mapped out every good work and everything that would happen. And so Lord, I pray that we would steward well what you have given us. That the temple that we exist as would be of utmost importance to our stewardship. That what we eat, what we consume in a media uh, relationship, Lord, anything that we consume, anything that enters this temple would be worthy to enter this temple. Lord, I pray that you would uh, lay a weight of uh, reverence on each of us, of what it means for the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, and we would live a life worthy of that. Lord, I pray you would rearrange some of our priorities and our disciplines and so that we can honor you with our temples. I pray this would be a week of change for many of us, that we would decide this is going to be the week that we change, that we make better decisions, and that we take responsibility for our temples. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week and be a good steward.